Think about a podcast ad about a mattress. No one needs another podcast ad about a mattress, but here's the thing. Your choice of mattress is one of the most important decisions you can make in your life. It's the same thing with infrastructure monitoring. You don't think about it often, but it's one of your most important decisions as an IT professional. So get your monitoring hosted in the cloud with Pessler PRTG Hosted Monitor. Now with 50% off monthly subscriptions for new customers for the first three months. Go to PRTG.com and use the promo code PACKETPUSHERS. That's PRTG.com with the promo code PACKETPUSHERS, all one word. Today on Heavy Networking, networking fundamentals. And by that, I'm getting at skills that were once taken for granted. If you were a networker back in the day, you understood TCP, for example, reasonably well. Now, yet probably not every detail off the top of your head because there's a lot of details, but you could hold a conversation about the three-way handshake and packet sequences, the close a socket, sliding windows, acknowledgements, the problem of long, fat networks, and the performance implications of retransmissions. Over the last couple of years, I am hearing increasingly that fundamental knowledge is a skill set harder and harder to come by. And I've heard this in three different venues. First, I'm hearing from you folks out there. You're asking for instruction on networking fundamentals because you're not getting it from the training that you've been taking. Second, I'm hearing it from presenters and instructors who are finding that the networkers in their audience don't know much about what's happening down at the packet level. And third... I'm hearing it from vendors who are hearing from businesses that those businesses want networks that are very simple to operate. They want push button operations to deliver a fast, secure network, but they're finding it difficult to find the people that could deliver that network to them. And so they're asking the vendors, vendors, just give me something easy. Now, from my perspective, not knowing how the network functions at a fundamental level, down deep where the packet lives, that's Kind of frightening because application stacks are complicated. Abstraction layers are everywhere and performance problems, they're really commonplace. So to not know what's really going on or even how to interpret the data, that, that's a scary thought. I don't want to be the business with a mission critical app that can't figure out why their app is in a bad state. I want to be the human that can figure out what's really going on to identify the root cause because if that's what it took, I could look at the packets and come up with the answer. Our guest today is Chris Greer. Chris is one of those folks that can teach you networking fundamentals right down at the packet level. The packet level is important. Chris Greer, welcome to Heavy Networking. And I think this is the first time you've been on the Packet Pushers Podcast Network. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, but I think it's your first time. But anyway, who are you, Chris? Who are you and what do you do? Well, thanks for having me, Ethan. I really appreciate it. And uh, that's a great introduction to our topic today. And uh, I'm in full agreement that packet analysis and fundamentals are so important. So I'm going to be one of those people that was talking to you, I believe, with those statistics. So yeah, so um, my name is Chris Greer. I'm a packet person. That's what I do. I read packets for a living. I have clients that send me PCAPs and I help them make sense of what's going on on their, their networks, both from a performance perspective. So something's broken, let's fix it, or slow, let's fix it, or from the cybersecurity angle. So uh, hey, Chris, here's some of my traffic. It looks kind of funny. Do you see anything from a threat perspective? When I'm not doing that kind of thing, when I'm not actually doing the analysis, then I'm also an instructor for Wireshark University. So I'm affiliated with the Wireshark Foundation, and I teach Wireshark and pra practical packet analysis courses uh, to audiences of uh, anywhere from one-on-one -on -one all the way up to several hundred at a seminar. So uh, that's kind of what I do, Ethan. 
Okay, man. So you you are definitely one of those people in touch with what's going on. You're dealing with lots of folks and you're teaching them very fundamental stuff. And and yeah, as we were prepping for the show, talking back and forth, I, I believe you did say that networking fundamentals are are missing from today's network tech education. Could you describe some of the networking fundamentals that you, you think are missing and and why do you think networkers maybe don't know this stuff anymore? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a good question. Really, what I've seen is as I've taught people from really all over the globe in different experience levels. Sometimes people are brand new. Sometimes people are even seasoned veterans. And I find uh, more and more I get asked to troubleshoot things that are at the transport layer, or that the transport layer can help us point to the end problem. Okay, so. That's where a TCP comes involved or, or quick or other protocols at the transport layer. So for me, I've just seen that that's been a bit of a missing link. I mean, if you think about it, if you're studying a certification, a lot of times you're being asked about TCP, about ports, about conversations, about four tuples. But really, where do you go to get that kind of education? Where is that being taught? You know, if, if I am studying for my CCNA or my Network Plus, you know, they'll glance over it and say, oh yeah, TCP IP, and they kind of wrap it into the network layer. But when it comes to how this very important protocol works, I find that that's where people have struggled to find quality education around it. So uh, that's been something that I've really tried to focus to bring to the community. I think you hit on something there when you said uh, practical, um, that, that you're working on the, the practical packet analysis component, because what you get in the CCNA and some of the other certification tracks that are out there is more about addressing and understanding the OSI layers. And then you kind of walk away because the rest of it is like, it's about connectivity and VLANs. And you just kind of move pretty quickly away from what's going on down deep in those data streams. Uh, it doesn't help you with the the fundamental problem that I think those networking certs are getting after, which is, which is more about the connectivity component and keeping a network up and uh, routing traffic through that network, less about what the traffic is. Um, so maybe, maybe that's the missing yeah. piece because there's, there, there is so much to know with the transport layer, Chris. Oh, absolutely. I'll tell you that just as someone who's still, you, you, you never stop learning about it ever, you know, cause as soon as you think, you know, everything about it, you find another PCAP that proves you different. Right. So especially as in today's world, things have evolved and changed so far from where things originally were when the standards were released. So uh, yeah, so it, it kind of goes to the conversation that I have quite a bit with uh, some of the clients I work with. If a problem strikes, let's just say that my application is just dog and slow. What if it's just bogging down? And if I'm an application developer, and if the problem is due to a TCP issue, I'm dumping that on the network guys. Network or TCP IP, that's the network people. That's their job. Uh, I, I don't need to be in a packet. Say that's just them. It's the network. But on the flip side, if there's a TCP issue, then the network people can go, hey, TCP is fully controlled and created from a stack within an operating system that I don't control. So my network, as soon as I capture, I get a packet from a device, my job is sending it as quickly and efficiently across the network, across the medium to the other side, securely and quickly. But once I let go of it into that system, my job's done. So they often perceive, even if they don't say it, that TCP is above them. That's going to be, or, or rather, in the OSI model, rather, it's it's a layer above my responsibility set. So 
I think that's often why I see a lot of finger pointing going around and that, that hot potato of TCP gets passed around the, the data center. Yeah, I found in a lot of the troubleshooting work that I needed to do that ended up being down at the packet level, whether I was using Wireshark or TCP dump, but something that could show me uh, down at a packet layer what was going on, I would have to use the packet traces to to show someone where the latency was. Was it in the network between this point and this point between this load balancer and this switch? Or you know, was it that kind of place? Or was it hey, the SQL query hit the database and it took the database 350 milliseconds before it spit back an answer. That's where your delay is. It's sitting in the database. So you've got a disk problem or you've got some kind of an IO throttle, you're out of memory. It's something sitting on that box there. That's where we need to focus our attention. But just being able to interpret the data at that level, no one wanted that. It was a finger pointing thing until you could you know, demonstrate to the team that was working on that problem, this is where your issue is and see, here's how I know. Not that many people could do that though, Chris. This is true. And that's why, you know, I think the comparison I make a lot, Ethan, is uh, uh, the, the mechanics, you know, like the, the true mechanics of, of knowing how a car really works. You know, if you take your car in now, a lot of times they just replace a part. Well, what if that didn't fix it? Well, then you go replace another part, but that didn't fix it. Then you go over here and that problem is you're chasing it around the underneath the hood. And, you know, oh, the art of the person that used to be able to put, put their ear to the hood and hear your rev it. And they just knew what the little piece was that was <laughs> out of whack. You know, that art is uh, sadly uh, getting more distant or more difficult to develop uh, in the day we live in. So. Yeah, I, I love the car analogy. There's uh, there's some YouTubers I watch that work on old cars, and uh, they can go, oh, it's missing. I think it's missing cylinders five and eight. I'm like, how do you know that? And then right. they'll, they'll, they'll pull the heads off and uh, start looking at the uh, at the valve train and go, oh, yeah, sure enough. And then they'll show you where the, I got a bent valve, I got this, I got that, whatever the problem is. And they just, they can tell. The, and they can tell either by listening to the hood, uh, you know, from the from the front of the car to the engine as it's ticking over, or they'll move to the back and they can listen to the exhaust and they can tell by the way it's skipping, you know, what's going on. It's it's incredible to have that level of specialty, which actually flies in the face of what we see going on in modern IT, Chris, because companies seem to be hiring more IT generalists as opposed to specialists. And if I'm in that situation as an IT professional, I could ask the question, why should I devote time to becoming a deep network specialist? Wouldn't it be better for me to like, for as far as my career goes, go pick up a cloud cert than go really deep on the packet stuff? Ethan, I think that that is a fantastic question, especially with all the buzz there is in our industry, um, IoT, cloud, uh, learning dev, even as a network person, uh, automation, AI, so machine learning, all of those things are so important. So. I mean, that's going to be a, a, a depends, like, what should I go after? Uh, hey, if I'm just entering the market and I just need to make some money to feed my family and a cloud search is going to get me there to my first job, hey, <laughs> who, who would say no to that kind of thing? However, once you do get that cloud search or maybe on your way to getting that cloud search or whatever that search might be, packets and learning how they work and learning those fundamentals will help you with every single other silo within IT, 100%. That's been my opinion. I, I think it makes a better cybersecurity analyst. It makes a better SOC analyst. It makes you a better troubleshooter. It makes you a better network engineer. Um, I find that from ones that attend my Wireshark training, it used to be, Ethan, I would say, hey, who in the room is a network engineer? 
every hand would go up. Well, that's changing. Hmm. Now I have SOC analysts. Now I have uh, a developer. Now I have people that are starting to realize like, hey, you know, this packet stuff is important. And these fundamentals are just helping me understand that core data set. We'll dig into the, the SOC component a little bit. A lot of network engineers have security as some part of their work responsibilities. So how would packet analysis help me with security work? Well, a lot of times packets are what feed the security tools we already have. You think about an IDS IPS, they're just inspecting packets, just doing it real quick. Or uh, other tools, th those will look at trends or look at signatures within packet streams and just tell us what's going on. So to understand what those tools are looking for, that's where uh, packet analysis can help. You know, it's a, it actually I have a kind of an interesting story from last year, Ethan. Last year, I went to Cisco Live and I had the opportunity to take a free seat for a certification because of the vendor that had sponsored me to come. They said, hey, we, we have a free certification seat. So, hey, just go ahead and take it. And I'm thinking, I haven't studied anything. I, it doesn't matter which one I take. I'm just going to bomb this test, right? So I thought, well, why don't I just take a swing at the Cisco CyberOps Associate? That's that intra-level kind of CCNA level uh, uh, cybersecurity certification for Cisco. And I thought, here it goes. I'll just go bomb it and then I'll learn what I need to learn and then maybe reapproach it next year. What would you believe the first, I would say, without without uh, violating any kind of a, um, a privacy thing. But the first several questions were around packets. Mm. Like to the point of Wireshark, like here's a Wireshark screen, what do you see? Mm. And I, I sat back in my ch chair in that freezing cold room, mm. you know, isolated from anyone else with nothing in my pockets. And I thought, are you... I might have a swing at this. I might, this, <laughs> I might not totally horribly bomb this thing. I'm probably going to fail. But so anyway, so I, I just kept going. I was like, okay, don't get ahead of yourself. Don't get ahead of yourself. But I passed on the first try without much study or prep. What does that tell you? The Cisco CyberOps, at least that specific test, hmm. is loaded with packet stuff. There's, that's the only reason I passed. Come on. I, I don't work in a SOC team. I don't live on Cisco Thousand Eyes. I don't know all those products. I mean, I know uh, what feeds them and that's the core packet level stuff. So the direct questions about packets I was able to answer and the ones about the, the products, I could figure out a lot of them because they're fed from packet data. So back to your question, how does it help you? Boy, it's just, it's a fundamental data set, knowing the traffic that's traversing our speeds and feeds and knowing more about just making lights go on and making connections, but what's actually traversing those connections. Fundamental skill for sure. Yeah. Yep. And exactly what you were saying about an IDS IPS, what's it really doing? Well, you're feeding it a packet stream. That's what it's, what it's doing. That's how it's, uh, you're tripping those signatures and so on because it sees what's going on in real time. And you know, back in the day when I did security work where we had to try to pinpoint where an infiltration attempt happened, I guess you'd call it forensics. I would definitely not call myself a forensic investigator for security. I was never that good, but there were times where it's like, we got timestamps from these server logs. We kind of know where it happened. Can we find the packets that actually punch through and see what happened? Um, it was helpful to know what I was looking at. Um, 
thankfully I didn't do too much of that, uh, have to do too much of that because it was onerous and tedious. I'll tell you, you really want a tool that's doing all that for you. But, uh, but, but knowing what I was looking at in those data streams was, uh, was really helpful. Although that was some years back when not everything was encrypted, Chris. And these days, I mean, another objection that I hear come up is like, everything on the wire is encrypted. What the heck is pack analysis going to do for me in 2023 when that's the situation is, uh, and so, so I'll put that question to you, Chris. In the world of everything's encrypted, what is packet analysis really doing for me? Fair question. Very fair question. Because that's the perception. Everything is encrypted. I'm just going to look on a wire and see just a bunch of byte strings or, or hex streams with that, that I can't really make use of. Well, the facts are that there's a lot that's still not encrypted. It's moving that way for sure, the world we live in. I mean, DNS is a good example. DNS has been open and easily readable for a while. Now we're starting to see uh, encrypted DNS. Even TLS 1.3, uh, it, it encrypts a lot of the TLS handshake now. Thankfully, it still gives us the SNI or the server name indicator for now until that goes away. But um, even in an encrypted conversation, okay, so let me tell you about some of the, the cases I run into with my clients. Like, hey, uh, we, we have a slow application and it's based in this cloud environment, even if it's software as a service and things are just slow. Well, the good thing is that things still a lot of times make use of TCP, right? So we still have the TCP header and everything that it can uh, give us clues for. So sequence numbers, acknowledgement numbers, retransmissions, application response time. I can tell you said it, uh, that SQL server has taken 300 milliseconds to respond. and we're not hitting it once. We're hitting it a hundred times. So that's where our 30 <laughs> seconds of delay is coming from. It's the yep. this app that's doing a million turns. So that's all stuff we can still figure out um, from a packet stream, even if encrypted. Uh, we still have retransmissions. We still have so on. There's still fundamental network protocols ripping around. Um, just tell you from a week ago, I was troubleshooting an issue where uh, a client had a problem with this... Uh, it, with entry into a parking garage, there was this, you know, those gates that come up, you grab your ticket and the gate goes up and you go yeah. through and you have to scan your yeah, badge. Yeah. Well, that was all network attached, right? So people would come up, scan their badge. It wouldn't open. Scan the badge again, wouldn't open. Scan the badge, boom, arm goes up. And it wouldn't always happen. Sometimes one scan, no problem. And I'm asking them, you know, how long has this been around? They're like, ooh, it's been about four years and it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. And I'm like, wow, okay, woof, here we go. So we grabbed the traffic and yes, it was an encrypted conversation that that device was having with the controller or rather it wasn't very easily readable, I should say that. But we saw this burst of traffic happen and you know what it came down to? Fundamentally, there was, I was sent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of packets, millions of packets about mm. this issue. And it came down to a couple that struck my eye. I saw a couple of spanning tree topology changes. Of all things, okay. Of all things. And what happened was this switch vendor, which I'll protect the name, um, that these spanning tree topology changes were being triggered and they would completely do a whole new topology change while they were doing that all unicast was being flooded of course yeah during that time if ethan happened to be the guy that scanned his badge you were waiting 
and you were waiting until that topology changed or the packets got through some kind of way. But ultimately, right there, okay, so I'm, I'm dealing in an in a application that you could say is encrypted, but the root cause came down to a Spanish repacket. Yeah. So there's still a lot down there that we can read and we can absolutely, even in an encrypted conversation, we can put the blame in the right place. Was it the client? Is it the network being latent or dropping traffic? Or is that server out to lunch? Yeah, the other things that are interesting with the packet analysis, things like, uh, you know, Wireshare can give you traffic distributions and these kind of things. And so I had a conversation with, uh, with Brian Ward on a podcast earlier this year, and he was talking about how much MDNS traffic is out on the wire in the world of all of us with Apple devices and other IoT devices that are announcing themselves or other devices that are querying looking for a service that are out there via broadcasted MDNS packets. And Brian's thing was, this can seriously impact your Wi-Fi networks and here's how. And how did he learn all of that? Wireshark, digging through traces and doing statistical analysis to find out what percentage of traffic on the wire was in fact MDNS. And, and so a really interesting mm -hmm. podcast that we did earlier in 2023. Um, I heard it. I, I thought yeah, that was a great podcast. By the way, thank you for doing that. A, a buddy of mine sent that to me. So definitely check it out if you're, if you're listening to this one. So let's, I want to dive into a couple of scenarios, Chris, and see, um, you know, see how your packet level minded brain would, uh, would tackle these sorts of issues. Uh, one, we've kind of, we've raised the SQL server example already, but let's, let's just broaden it out to be, it's an application performance problem. Now, some network engineers would say, Chris, that if I got to break out Wireshark, I mean, I've exhausted all their possibilities. It's the end of the world. We don't know what else to do. It's, it's Wireshark time. Let's start looking at the packets. Um, so in that scenario of an application performance problem, it's come down to this packet analysis. What, what's my, how do I tackle that problem? How does it help me? Okay, so another great question, one that I'm asked quite a bit because a lot of times at that point is when they give me a call and say, hey, we've tried so many things. We've replaced this, we've upgraded that. This hot potato has gone around our tiger team for in war room for a while. <laughs> uh, so here we go, here's a PCAP. So basically that's, that's how it can help. It's the difference between guessing what's happening and actually seeing what's happened. You, you've heard it. Packets don't lie. Yeah. Right. They tell what's happening. Yeah. So instead of blaming another silo or guessing that that load balancer is not operating properly or just saying, oh, they did that upgrade and that application and blah, 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 blah. Well, packets help us to prove where the delay truly is. So that's where I've seen people guess at a lot of things and, and doing it with the best of intent. Sometimes you're just at your wit's end and your boss is breathing down your back. You've spent a million dollars on trying to update something or they fix this problem. Jobs are on the line and packets are scary when they come at us at 10 gig and beyond speeds. So those, those haystacks turn into mountains pretty fast, pretty fast. But when we're troubleshooting an application problem, the ideal case for me is I try to get as close as I can to the server, grab a, a packet capture from that perspective, even if within a cloud environment. And there's a lot of dependencies there. What control do we have? What vendor are we working with? What support do they offer? So can we get a packet perspective from that side? And then from the client side as well. And then ideally somewhere in the middle. So if I can get a couple of vantage points of the problem, 
that can help us to truly pinpoint where that delay is coming from. And at least even if packets don't give us root cause, at least they can give us silo. It's that server that's eaten up 30 seconds. We'll have to dig further into it to see what's happening, but we can let the, the, uh, network technicians, help desk, all of this, the network side people, all they can go home and have an early weekend. We're going to be here troubleshooting this application. Yeah. I, and a lot of these multi-tiered apps, there's so many different places that you can maybe grab a capture. If it's some kind of a Linux box, it's probably TCP dump there. You can run TCP dump and maybe multiple instances of it, figure out on which interface a packet's going in, how it was munged or changed on the way out, whether it comes out the other side at all. Um, I used to work a lot with F5 load balancers, and that was one of my favorite tricks. Run F5 uh, or run TCP dump on the F5 on the front side and on the back side, see what's going on, what's the timestamp so I could prove, guys, it's not the load balancer. Look, it, it skipped through the whole thing in like less than a millisecond. We, we don't have a delay there. Uh, th- th- then you can add to that um, devices that are dedicated to packet capturing if you're so lucky to have such a thing. But if you have like a network visibility fabric, um, you could like, like a Gigamon box, something like that, or something from, I guess it's Arista now, but uh, but the Big Tap uh, product that uh, Arista bought from a Big Switch Networks, you can peel off uh, from key parts of your network, from key switches that are in uh, critical places, critical junctures where application traffic flow is, uh, is happening and figure out delay in between each of these junction points on your network. And, and like you say, Chris, if you do enough of that, if you can insert yourself and see the packets as they flow through the network, you can figure out it's happening here. It's this server or it's yeah. this firewall or it's wherever it is that the delay is happening or, or packet loss is happening, perhaps, that kind of thing, and, uh, and start sure. working from there. Absolutely. And, and just one more point to that, you know, what I've heard too is, okay, Chris, here's our application environment. It's got these tiers. Here's how the clients enter the environment. They go through this load balancer. They talk to this system. They talk over here. Then they talk over here. And I go, okay, let's let the packets prove it. Through that entire conversation, I'm going, la, 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 with my ears, la, 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 I don't want to hear what you believe, I want the packets to teach me. So, and then we find out, okay, clients are entering and talking directly to your database. Yeah. And they go, it, it's not supposed to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. right. So again, back to packets, packets are going to show what are the real conversations that are happening, regardless of what the vendor or documentation thinks should happen. Okay, let me drill into another scenario for you, Chris, here, because this is a pretty common one network engineers deal with, uh, and that is congestion. You think you have a congestion problem between two network hosts. Um, What would I see in a packet analyzer that would prove to me I have a congestion problem between two hosts? Two things, just to make it simple for everybody. Loss, latency. So if I'm looking at a TCP conversation between me and you, Ethan, okay, I'm client, your server, and I, su- and I suspect a congestion issue, whether I can see it or not, right? Because that congestion could be just bogging down a router in the middle, and that's just out of view of my point of capture, mm-hmm. right? That congestion might never make it to my interface. But between me and you, if I see packet loss and specifically several packets in a row get lost, and we can tell that from the sequ- sequence numbers, if we see that usually, or typically, I should say, that's due to some congested buffer somewhere along the way. Input, output, discard somewhere. So that we can, as we, as we see TCP trying to retransmit, 
uh, we can start to see congestion there. The other thing that we can do is we can use, uh, basically it's, it's a round trip timer. So if I see in, in the handshake that I have with you, I send a SIN, you send a SYNAC, I send an ACK, I send a request for something, you respond, whether I can decrypt it or not. But I'm sending requests for things, you're sending responses. And if I see a shift in latency, so if I, at one point, if it takes me 100 milliseconds to connect to you, and the next time it takes 300 milliseconds, and then the next time it takes 50, and then 150, if it's not real consistent, then I know something along the way is likely getting congested, and that's where we can go hunting. Yeah, that's, that's a, a, a jitter kind of a problem there, um, which comes out when you're studying voice over IP networks. And it's one of the things that you learn to to mitigate if you are running voice over IP on your network. You uh, deal with uh, a lot of queuing theory and low latency queuing to make sure that you don't have these big changes in latency between the, the voice packets as they're transmitted across the wire because you need that stability. TCP itself can you know, recover from that. It's got all these mechanisms that do that. But you're talking about, Chris, all the signs that TCP is going to give you that there's congestion because my window's opening and shutting and, uh, you know, and so on. Yeah. And, and even in Wireshark, I can take RTT, so round trip time. So I send you something and then measure the amount of time it takes for you to respond or acknowledge it. I can take and graph that. So mm. I can see shifts where, ooh, uh, there was only 50 milliseconds between you and Ethan for a while, but then boom, things went up to 100 milliseconds, then came back down. So I know that during that time, even if I don't see it in my package race, likely that's due to a congestion type issue. Let's pause the conversation for a message from sponsor Pessler. If you're a regular podcast listener, you've heard countless mattress ads. Now, Packet Pushers is not the kind of podcast where you'd hear a mattress ad, but maybe this is the closest we'll get. Now, the thing is, the only time you really think about your mattress is when it causes you aches and pains. That's why your choice of mattress is one of the most important decisions you can make. It's the same thing with monitoring. Your monitoring solution shouldn't cause you any aches, and you shouldn't need to think about it. It's one of your most important decisions as an IT professional. Pessler PRTG monitoring software has been on the market for over 20 years and has over 500,000 users worldwide. Pessler PRTG Hosted Monitor is their cloud-based solution, which means Pessler takes care of updates, backups, and maintenance, and you just focus on monitoring. It's vendor agnostic with support for SNMP, WMI, flow protocols, and much more. Setup and configuration is quick. You can be monitoring within minutes without even installing any hardware. You get real-time dashboards and customizable notifications, and pricing is flexible. You have the choice of monthly or annual subscriptions based on the number of devices you need to monitor, so you can scale as needed. And Pessler is giving new customers 50% off their monthly subscription for the first three months. Go to PRTG.com, that's PRTG.com, and use the promo code PACKETPUSHERS, all one word, to take advantage of this offer. And make sure you always sleep soundly on a comfy mattress with a comprehensive monitoring tool. This offer ends October 2023. Now back to the podcast. Now, sometimes I'm going to be stuck with just one point of view. I can only insert my packet sniffer into one point on the network. Uh, but sometimes I have the luxury of being able to put a packet sniffer on both ends. Do I need to do two traces to solve? Is it better? Let's put it that way. Is it better if I can grab two captures, one on either end? Does that, uh, is that going to be critical in helping me solve the problem? I mean, you think about a crime scene. Um, more camera angles are better to piece yeah. together the story. <laughs> I mean, really, right now we're trying to get a murder conviction, right? So who, who's who's guilty? <laughs> and uh, so one camera is great if 
that's all we got. Um, but more would be better. So I, I try not to over, um, complicate it or over confuse anybody and say, Oh, you need 10 points of capture. Not at all. If you can get one on each end, that's great. Uh, one on the network as well as ideal, but you, you gotta know a lot of times with my clients, I'm dealing with one side, at least from the, the get go. And that's the client side a lot of times. So that's where we start. And at least from the client side, you're seeing that everything that that client is doing, the devices it's interacting with, it's talking to this DNS server, it's talking to this application, it's opening up these other connections. So at least that's a good vantage point to start from. And then we can add points of visibility as we go forward. All right, Chris, let me throw yet another scenario at you. Because um, what I'm trying to do is throw out a lot of the, uh, the, the, the reasons people just don't want to bother with, uh, with packet captures these days and getting down to the packet level. So another scenario that's increasingly common in the modern network, let's say I'm the administrator of a network that uses mostly overlays. It could be VXLAN, whatever it is, but I'm using some kind of an overlay on top of my, my underlay network. And I don't spend a bunch of time doing network engineering as such. I spend most of my time developing security policies and I apply them to the network via a GUI and all the magic happens in the overlay to enforce these policies that I'm writing. The vendor's tool just kind of handles all the magic for me. So why do I need to care about fundamentals, about what's going on down at the packet level, Chris? What if the magic breaks? (laughs) I just call the vendor, Chris. Of course, they just fix it for me. (laughs) <laughs> that's true or, or not <laughs> sometimes sometimes they might pass the ball to somebody else that we're involved with we might say oh we have this this type of network this type of overlay this type of thing and they they're taking guesses too if they're not looking at it from a network perspective or the other thing is relying on experience from a different issue that had totally different details on the one that we're dealing we're dealing with so uh will things work a lot of the time without learning deep dive packet analysis with these GUIs. Okay, sure. Until something goes wrong. And that's where if we want to really dig deep and future proof our careers, regardless of where we go or how we get there. And we also just have an interest of how things work. That's where packets and fundamentals are going to really, really separate us and really help us to understand those underlying technologies. Yeah, I I actually mentioned this way up in the intro, the fact that we're being abstracted further and further from what's happening on the network by the magic tools that the vendor is providing. And I, you know, we got a note in from someone who was deploying a software-defined WAN solution, had a terrible experience with the installation. And the even though it was from the vendor, the vendor was helping them do the install via, via service contract, couldn't get it right. Even after a bunch of different uh, sites they'd installed and so on, they just were were not great at it. So you can't count on the vendor. The vendors are just uh, made up of humans as well, who may or may not know or have the expertise required to do the thing that you need done. You can't just assume that the vendor's going to handle it all for you. So the more you know, the better off you are. Hmm. Oh, absolutely. And to that point, um, uh, it's interesting. I've seen a trend in some of my Wireshark courses as well. I'm starting to see, it used to be just uh, a lot of private space or private enterprise network engineers would come. But now more and more, I'm actually seeing more employees of vendors that do things like zero trust and other types of things that are now basically redirecting things, overlaying things. 
And the reason why they're showing up in the class is because they're saying, well, I'm responsible for helping to troubleshoot our solution with our clients and we're getting blamed for everything. Mm. We roll out, there's connectivity problems. Oh, it's XYZ company. So let's call them the vendor. It's their job to fix it. And we're like, well, we don't see anything in our side. We got to learn packets to defend our stance. So again, back to packets showing and helping to really uh, unearth the issue. Well, Chris, let's move to uh, to some parting thoughts here. One, this is going to be a bit of uh, speculation, perhaps, but but artificial intelligence is becoming a real thing now. Chat GPT uh, language learning models are giving us a, an application of AI that's very very interesting and feels very real. Is is AI actually going to take over the art of packet analysis, where AI is going to be you know we throw a, a big big bunch of packets at it basically trains it and then it tells us things that we need to know and we just kind of do what it tells us is that the future of packet analysis or are we still going to need to as humans really know what's up and be able to decode these things i think that's a fair question too given you know chat gpt and 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 further of everything that's been um, going on lately i think I'd, I'd have my head in the sand if i said I, ai is not going to take over some of the workload for sure and as it should, that's kind of the point, right? Machine right. learning, doing things faster and better um, at that rate. Because the things is, thing is, is that speeds and feeds are continuing to go up, not down. Right. Um, 100 gig is no longer the future. It's the now 400 gig and beyond and whatever follows. To capture a packet with Wireshark on a laptop, I mean, in a modern data center, Come on, a human being cannot keep up with the trillions of things that are going to be flying by our eyes. So we need machine learning. We need AI. We need these tools that can keep up with these data rates and help to at least flash these hot points to us to then help us to see where go to go inspect further. Um, so yes, I, I think that that's going to take an increasing workload. I think there is extreme value though to be able to fact check AI, to make sure it's pointing us in a direction and not misleading us because it's still learning. Um, I myself, I've tossed a handful of questions at, at uh, uh, chat GPT and, and, you know, it gets a right-ish kind of, you know, it's basically that scraping. It's a right-ish kind of, yeah. It scrapes some forum somewhere and finds some answer. And is it does it help move the conversation forward? Yes. But however, uh, do I like seeing things at the packet level, protocol level for myself to trust it? Yes. And I think that that skill is going to be continued to be needed uh, regardless of the size of the enterprise for the foreseeable future. Thoughtful. I appreciate that answer. Um, and that's kind of where I'm coming down on a lot of the AI stuff. It's like, okay, it's here. It is in fact becoming useful. So let's make use of it. Let's not pretend that it's not there because I've never done it that way. I'm not starting now. No, it's there's there's value here that can make us faster at our job. And I and I love the point you made about the, simply the volume of data, which has been a problem forever. Just a packet capture device with a bunch of disk drives in it can could barely keep up unless you spend a huge amount of money just to be able to keep up with the real-time packet capture dumping the disk. The I.O. Is, uh, is, is, is it's too much for a machine to just grab a hold of them, let alone you know, doing analysis as a human and parsing through, as you're saying now, very easily trillions of packets uh, in the course of a day. 
to uh, to try to make sense of. So yeah, AI does seem to have a long term yeah. role here. Um, sure. Another very uh, very practical question, Chris, is um, is about TCP and its many variants. We got new Reno cubic BBR out there. Other variants being played with that uh, have come and gone. Um, there's a lot of variants, and how does that impact me as a network engineer trying to get my head around TCP? Do I need to understand the different variants and what they're doing? That's also a great question. Thank you for asking it, Ethan. Uh, my, I'm going to answer it very simply from the outside and then explain my answer. I, at least the simple answer is no. We don't need to learn. If we're going into TCP, the nuances between new Reno, which hopefully isn't around in too many situations anymore because it's an older algorithm. But yeah, Cubic. Okay, our laptops are running Cubic. Maybe some Google Cloud servers are running BBR, these other things. A lot of times those algorithms have to do with congestion control. So how fast do I transmit based on the level of loss that I experience or shifts in latency? So how efficient can I make this data transfer and use up the network throughput without elbowing anyone else out of the way? That's the fundamental difference between or uh, that separates TCP congestion control algorithms. However, that's some, something that's just so far down the road in a lot of troubleshooting exercises. You can answer or resolve a tremendous number of problems without ever needing to touch TCP congestion control. Hmm. I mean, the number of situations I brought in where it's genuinely legit congestion control issues. I mean, I would say of the years I've been doing this, a handful, it came down to that kind of thing. A lot of times it was some of the other issues. Okay, this, the use of this option. Why is the window scaling not working? Or why is that window being exhausted so quickly? Or that retransmission, uh, why, why is slow start not kicking off properly? So, I mean, there are a few examples, but if you're a network engineer, learn the handshake and learn it well. Learn about all the stuff that's exchanged. Learn the options. You can find those on my YouTube channel. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Mm-hmm. But don't let TCP get too confusing because this 40-year protocol, the things you need to learn, a lot of those fundamentals are still there. Yeah, absolutely. Although, Chris, uh, with TCP, 40-year-old protocol, Quick is a transport protocol that we mentioned earlier in the show that is, some look at it as the eventual replacement for TCP. There's been some people that have suggested that that could happen. I don't, I don't know that we'll get there, um, but it's, plausible. Quick's being used increasingly. So what would you recommend to network engineers there? Uh, TCP, sure, got to learn that. Um, but do I need to learn Quick as well? Yes. Quick, uh, not saying we got to be just the expert of the universe on Quick, but Quick is a definitely an important thing to be aware of. Over, I would agree that the workload over the web is increasingly quick. In fact, if you're watching this, or, or I'm sorry, if you're listening to this podcast, it's possible you're doing so over quick. If you go to Facebook, if you go to YouTube, uh, a lot of these services now are over quick. If you order a, if you order a, an Uber, that thing's over quick. So quick has replaced TCP as a transport mechanism um, because it does have a lot of advantages over TCP that's very stuck in this single stream type of thing. TCP is basically a streaming protocol, right? And it cares about every single bit and byte in this order. And even if I multiplex queries on top of one TCP conversation, the that construct just can't handle a single packet that was lost. It stops the entire train. 
<laughs> waits for the retransmission, then lets the train continue. Where Quick is like, hey, you can lose a packet. It's the internet. All the rest of if I if I fire if I I can set up one t- quick connection with you Ethan I'm client your server one quick connection and I can multiplex requests across that quick connection using streams if one packet gets lost in stream 10 stream 1 through 9 continue as if nothing happened so our application will continue on those other streams while 10 recovers so in a way, it's almost like this is the way that I've taught Quick, and I do have some um, information about Quick out there as well. If anybody's interested, just YouTube it, Google it, whatever. But t- it's Quick is almost like the way that I conceptualize it. It's like a bunch of TCP streams sitting on top of one UDP connection. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So interestingly, we just talked about cubic BBR TCP congestion control algorithms. A lot of those were used in Quick. So the better you understand TCP, the better you're going to understand quick. Because a lot of the, the strengths of TCP were borrowed and built into quick. Uh, so there's there's some familiar things over on that side too. Well, Chris Greer, excellent conversation, uh, top notch. And uh, and those of you listening, hey, Chris is recording this at the end of a long day of teaching, and he's still here uh, on the mic delivering. Quite the quite the thing, Chris. Quite the thing. Now you've Thanks got a lot of content me. out there. You got a lot of content out there. Um, share folks, uh, share with folks your your URLs. How do they follow you and everything else that you're sharing out there on the internet? For sure. So I think um, one that I definitely want to invite people to check out my YouTube channel. So if you go to YouTube, you can just search Chris Greer or search Wireshark Chris or search TCP, and I hope that you find me um, out there and. Uh, interact with me there. Also on Twitter, you'll find me there as well. My handle is at Packet Pioneer. Um, on LinkedIn, if you search Chris Career, hopefully you'll find me as well. I uh, I do, um, I, I post on, on Wireshark, on TCP or whatever I'm out there doing, threat hunting. Uh, you mentioned uh, uh, teaching all day. Just today I, I taught about Nmap and mm-hmm. I have an Nmap course that I recently released on YouTube. I'm sorry, um, part of it was on YouTube, but on Udemy. So um, yeah, on, on Udemy, you can go out there and, and look for that. Another way that you can interact with me, if, if all else fails and you can't find me anywhere, just go to wireshark.org and right there on the front page, you'll find one of my videos, Lesson One Wireshark Masterclass. And that'll bring me to bring you to YouTube. And there's a nine part free series on how to get started with packet analysis on my YouTube channel. So I invite everybody to check that out. Great stuff. And so, so Chris, it sounds like you've got a mix of uh, free stuff for the community, but then also paid courses if you want to go even deeper. Yes. Yeah. So uh, the free stuff is out there on all these channels I've mentioned. Also on Udemy for 10 bucks, you can pick up uh, getting started with Wireshark. Uh, that's out there. Also getting started with Nmap. Um, also through Wireshark.org, you can find me uh, through Wireshark University. I, I teach Wireshark courses for both private enterprises so you can either have me come on site or remotely teach one, two, 10, 20, 25, I don't care. Um, or I also teach public courses from time to time. So I'm either at the SharkFest Users and Developers Conference, which is the Wireshark show once a year. Or I actually, um, just this year, I was invited back to DEF CON. I'm going to be at DEF CON 31. And I'm going to be teaching Threat Hunting with Wireshark TCP for hackers. And uh, that's going to be following DEF CON. 
And uh, I'm real excited about that. We had a great time last year, DEFCON 30. And so I'm excited to to get out there again and put the black hoodie on and yeah. dig into some packets. Put all your phones and laptops in Faraday bags so you don't get hacked while you're on right. stage. Yep. That, that, yes. <laughs> no wireless. Well, Chris, great conversation. And to you out there listening, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Heavy Networking. You are an awesome human. And if you would like to hang out with like-minded networking cloud and infrastructure engineers, you can join our 100% free Packet Pushers Slack channel. That's at packetpushers.net slash Slack. Engineers from all over the world would be happy to talk packets with you. Now, if the only podcast you listen to from the Packet Pushers Podcast Network is Heavy Networking, you are missing out on shows like Kubernetes Unpacked with instructor and consultant Michael Levon, IPv6 Buzz with published authors and industry experts Ed Horley, Tom Coffeen, and Scott Hogue, and Day 2 Cloud with me and professional instructor Ned Bellavance. And if you haven't heard, we just launched Heavy Wireless with Keith Parsons. Keith is going deep on not only Wi-Fi, but all things wireless networking. Just look up Heavy Wireless in your podcast client and hit subscribe. Thank you for listening. Recommend to your colleagues that they subscribe. And last but not least, remember that too much networking would never be enough.